0: Amen. While you're turning in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1, I just want to tell Pastor Bishop thank you for this opportunity to bring the word to you all this morning. Um, also want to wish him and his bride a, a happy anniversary. This morning we'll be coming from The book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16. The book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16. The word of God reads... For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to You this morning asking to hear from above. Oh, Lord, I pray that You will use Your servant. Oh, Father God, I I pray that the words that I speak will be words that glorify Christ and him alone. And Father God, I pray that you will instill in us all here a passion to love you more and to do your work. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. When I was a young boy, I loved watching cartoons. And one of my favorite cartoons I I watched as a a young fellow was the cartoon called Popeye. Uh, And Popeye, he was an interesting fellow. He He would always find himself getting into some type of situation or circumstance. Uh, but Papa had a little secret. Papa had a little secret that he had this spinach that when he would eat, it would give him extraordinary power that he would be able to defeat his enemies. But the thing that confused me about Papa and, and, and almost frustrated me every time I watched it was that Papa would first go into this dangerous situation using his own strength, using his own power. And he would get beat up and and defeated the whole TV program until around about the end when he was able to get his hands on his can of spinach. And what I want to, to, to tell you this morning is that I feel that oftentimes when it comes to evangelism, Christians act in the same way. Just as Popeye relied on his own strength to overcome, we oftentimes rely on our own strength and are defeated. But we don't take hold of our power that God has given at our disposal. And so the power oftentimes gets neglected. So what I wanted to talk to you this morning about is that if we are to be faithful witnesses, we must confidently proclaim the gospel to all people. To be faithful witnesses, we must confidently proclaim the gospel to all people. We live in a culture that is getting increasingly hostile to Christianity. Christianity is mocked. It is ridiculed. It is criticized and seen as foolish. We have wars, injustice, terrorism, And it's easy for us to to look at our situation and and just want to throw up our hands and say, what can we do? How can we respond? How can a Christian give a faithful witness in the midst of such turmoil? Well, I submit to you this morning that to be faithful witnesses, we must confidently proclaim the gospel with no shame to be faithful witnesses we must confidently proclaim the gospel with no shame if you look with me in verse 16 it begins with this very interesting phrase it says for I am I am this simple phrase is a statement of self-awareness. The person who makes this statement is saying by these words that there's something about himself that he understands. He understands something about himself. To state the phrase, I am, assumes some type of self-knowledge, self-understanding. And I want to tell you this morning that we as Christians, if we're going to be confident in our gospel witness, we must know where we stand. We must know who we are. We must be willing to put our life on the line for our gospel, but first off, we have to know it is, what it is that we believe. But also, this simple phrase, I am, is a statement of authority. This phrase, I am, spoken by an individual He's taking the initiative to say that he's in charge of his identity. He's taking the authority to say that no one else can give him his identity. I am. I'm the one who sets the standards for who I am and how I identify. When the simple phrase I am is stated, the individual is standing on a truth. And what I want to tell you this morning is that that means that the culture can't give you your identity. That means that the government can't give you your identity. That means that the world cannot give you your identity. Our identity is in Christ. And we choose that identity. Because God first chose us. But also this simple phrase, I am is a statement of declaration this simple phrase i am assumes that the person who is speaking is proclaiming something he's saying the words i am he's affirming something oftentimes in our culture we are tempted to not make a stand on something we we like to stay in the ambiguity of different things in in the gray area but what the Apostle Paul is saying here, just by the simple phrase, I am, is that he's affirming something about himself and he's proclaiming that truth. So confidence is knowing where you stand and being willing to declare it. We have to have that confidence in the gospel to stand where the gospel says we should stand. Where the Bible tells us we should stand. And so, when the world asks us the question, "Aren't you of those people who believe that the, in a crucified Savior?" Our response should be, "I am." When the world asks us the question, "Are you the one who are you of those who believe in this old book that you all call the Bible?" Our response to that should be, "I am." When the world looks at us and asks us the question, Aren't you of those who believe in a resurrection? Our response should be, I am. We need a I am faith. Do we have anybody in here who has a I am faith? Now shame is the opposite of confidence. If we look at verse 16 once again, it says, for I am not Ashamed of the gospel. Shame oftentimes makes us want to hide things. Even if you look in the book of Genesis, when uh, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they were ashamed of themselves, so they hid themselves. This is the essential attribute of shame. Uh, A desire to cover oneself up. But shame is an enemy to gospel proclamation. We can't be faithful proclaimers of the gospel if we are ashamed of it. Jesus said that does, uh, do you light a lamp and put it under a bushel? Let your light therefore shine before men that they shall see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The ministry that we have all been called to is a ministry of declaration, a proclamation of Jesus Christ our Redeemer. So we should not be ashamed of the gospel. Some temptations that usually lead us to shame is, first of all, popularity. (laughs) To be faithful witnesses of the gospel, we might have to sacrifice relationships that we're involved in. To take a stand for the gospel, it might cause tension between those whom you deem uh, respectable in society. The people you want to rub shoulders with. This oftentimes tips us because we no longer can be the most popular kid in school. We, may, we, may, long, we uh, may not longer be a part of the in crowd at work. We may be an outcast. And so this right here is a temptation for us to hide what we truly believe, for us to not to speak up about the gospel. But also, a temptation is prosperity. Oftentimes, if you are attempting to be a proclaimer of the gospel, it may cost you something. It may cost you discomfort. It may cost you money. It may cost you luxury. So that that vacation that you may be planning for, God may call you to give that money to an adoptee. That new car that you want to be sporting, God may call you to use that same car to donate to someone. So prosperity oftentimes challenges us in our commitment to the gospel. Prosperity is... Just as the Bible says, money is a root of all kinds of evil. It can draw us away from the sacrifice that the gospel calls us to. But also, a temptation for us to be ashamed is persecution. And I don't want to take this, this lightly, but we know that the Bible tells us that if anyone wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, he will suffer persecution our Lord warned us about the things and the issues that we will be facing in our life with Christ and he gives us some keen information he says count the costs if you want to be a follower of me he says if anyone is not willing to take up his cross and follow me he's not worthy to be my disciple and so Oftentimes, persecution or harm or danger may cause us to be ashamed of the gospel. And this is something that we all must fight against. But not only should we resist the temptation of shame, but if we are to be faithful witnesses, we must trust in the power of the gospel to save in order to be faithful witnesses of the gospel, we must trust in its power in order to save people. But what is this gospel message? What is this ministry that we are called to to put our lives on the line for? Now, the gospel isn't God loves you. That's part of the gospel, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is not Come to Jesus so you can have a better life. That's not the gospel. The gospel begins with a diagnosis of the human heart. If we look here in chapter 1 of the book of Romans, Paul, starting in verse 18, tells us something about our relationship between the creator and the creation. It says that the wrath of God is poured out among men. It tells us that God is angry with the sin and unrighteousness of mankind. It tells us that, that all this wickedness, men suppressing the truth of God, searching and, 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 and going into idols and worshiping idols instead of the Lord our God. Also in, in chapter 2, lest you feel like you were out of this indictment, The apostle speaks to the religious person. He says that you think because you have the law that you are above the law. You think that because you have the word of God in your hands that you won't be judged by it. Because oftentimes we as people of the book who have the word of God, we often want to look with ridicule to the people on the outside. But the Apostle Paul checks that in us, and he says that you who say thou shalt not commit adultery, are you sneaking in people's houses at night? He says that you who say you shall not steal, are you lying on your taxes? So the Apostle is not letting any of us off the hook. Because this is, this is the issue here, and this is why... The apostle had to make the statement that he's not ashamed because there's something about the gospel that's offensive. The gospel is offensive because it calls into it calls into question our understanding of ourselves. We like to think of ourselves as good. We like to think of ourselves as not so bad. We like to look at other people and say, well, I'm not as bad as them. But the apostle points out even much more clearly in chapter 3 where he says that there's no one righteous, no, not one. So that's including the people outside of the religious spaces and it's including the people inside of the religious spaces. That we all are condemned in front of a holy God. If we recognize that we serve a God of justice, a God of holiness and righteousness, and we look at our lives... We have to understand that it's something in between that's, that's causing uh, friction between our relationship with God. Everything about our relationship with God is not happy, happy, clappy, clappy. We like to focus on those things because we don't want to endure the truth that the Bible is first of all placing us all under the condemnation of God. But thanks be to God. That's not the end of the story. But the, the story must begin there so you can understand what the gospel is all about. Because the gospel tells us that we who are condemned in front of a holy God, God has made righteous. In, in chapter 5 of the book of Romans, the Bible tells us that we who were in sin, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It tells us that we who are condemned, God has made righteous. It tells us that we who were dead, God has made alive. This is the gospel. And so, although we we recognize the content of the gospel, we must also understand the power of, Of the gospel. Because the gospel. Has divine power. If you look at the text. Again if you will. In verse 16. It says. For I'm not ashamed. Of the gospel. For it is. The power of God. For salvation. It is. It is. It is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is God's power unto salvation. It, is, it has divine backing. When we rely and place our trust in the gospel to transform our loved ones, to transform the world, we are coming with a divine power. The gospel has that divine power. The message of the gospel, when it is proclaimed, we are summoning the powers of heaven. When we are proclaiming the gospel, we are no longer staying on a mere human level, intellectual level or a lovey dovey level. We're on a spiritual level because the gospel has the power of God behind it. So whenever the gospel is preached. Angels are in heaven in hushed silence. The cherubim and the the seraphim pause in their magnificent symphony to to the Lord their God to peek over their angels to see what the Almighty is going to do when the gospel is preached. When the gospel is preached, demons shiver. When the gospel is preached, dead people are resurrected. So we need this gospel. We have to rely on the gospel. We have to put our trust in the gospel for the salvation of the world. Because the gospel is our only hope. The gospel is the only means of help to this dying and crippling world. Mankind for many years have tried all these techniques, all of these philosophies, all of the different wisdoms And we still turn on the news today and it looks worse off than when it was before. Nothing that the philosophy of man is able to produce has helped us in our human condition. Because God is trying to show us that you can't help yourself. You need that divine in breaking of power from heaven to come down here on earth to transform the earth into the will of God. We rely on the gospel because it's only through the gospel that people can be saved. The gospel is the only means of salvation. If you look again, once again, in verse 16, it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. The power of God for salvation. The word the is a definite article. And there's nothing fancy there, but the only thing it's saying is that it's excluding all other things. It's, 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 It's focusing on its subject. So it's not saying that it's a way of salvation, which is inclusive. It's saying that it is the way of salvation, which is specific and exclusive. So we recognize that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's the only way. It's the only way. We may, th- this is the part of the gospel that caused many people to shame. Because many people don't like proclaiming that you might serve Islam, the God of Islam. Well, that's not salvific. That can't save you. You may serve the God of Buddha, but that won't save you. The only means of salvation is Jesus Christ and him alone. It's the only way, the only means. Socialism can't save us. Capitalism can't save us. A presidential candidate can't save us. A presidential candidate that wants to protect us from other nations coming in can't save us. That's not going to protect us from our, our, our deepest concern, our deepest need. We need to hear the gospel. The gospel will transform any person, whether he's a citizen or he's an illegal immigrant. Many of us, we want to to, to, uh, be prejudiced against other people, but the gospel breaks down those walls because we see that we serve a bigger purpose, the reconciling of God of all things to himself. But also, for this reason, since the gospel is the only way, the only means of salvation, to be faithful witnesses, we must recognize the universal need of the gospel. We must recognize the universal need of the gospel. People must hear and believe the gospel in order to be saved. People must hear and believe the gospel in order to be saved. If you look at verse 16 once again, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. That means that there must be some type of transfer of information for someone to believe. That means that someone has to know something in order for them to be saved. Because in order to believe, it assumes that you know something to believe in. And the Bible poses this question as well in in chapter 10 of the book of Romans. It says, how can they believe if they have not heard? But the most important question in that paragraph is, how would they believe if there is no preacher? And that doesn't just mean a preacher who can stand up in the pulpit. That means you too. That means that you are actively involved in God's plan of salvation in the world. And we must be faithful stewards of that responsibility. The gospel is open and and available to anyone. It says everyone who believes. But also the gospel crosses... Hostile relationships. If you look at the text once again, it says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, The question comes, what does this really mean when it says to the Jew first? Is it first in order or is it first as in importance? I submit to you that it's saying that it's first in order because if you look over in chapter 3, when it uses this same phrase, Jew first and the Greek, it also follows up that statement with saying that God is no respecter of persons. So that means that God doesn't love the Jews only and he dislikes or or withholds his love from anyone else. So my understanding of this text is that the, the gospel came to the Jewish people first. Now what significance does that have? Well, the point is that if you understand that it came to the Jews first and it says it's for the Greek as well, that means that the Jews had to be the ones to take it to the Greeks. If it began with them, and it's on its way to the Greeks, that means that the Jewish people had to be the ones who deliver it to the Greeks. And what significance does that have? Well, if you know the historic relationship between the Jews and the Greeks, you understand that there there was hostility between them. That 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 the Jews look down on the Gentiles, and the Gentiles look down on the Jews. That actually the Jews were being oppressed by the Greeks at this time. And so we understand that the gospel breaks down hostility. Because if the Jews had to take the gospel to the Greeks, that means we have to take the gospel to some of the people who we may look at as enemies. Some people from other countries that maybe our nation may be at war with. Just because our nation is at war with a people, that doesn't mean that our responsibility to proclaim the gospel stops there. Because the gospel overcomes these walls of hostility. And we have to be the the ones to deliver the gospel message to whomever it is. So that means that the wars of the United States... It's not our world wars as a Christian, primarily. Our primary battle is for the name of God to be proclaimed among all people. So our dedication, our patriotism, our commitment to our nation cannot supersede our commitment to the gospel. The gospel message and the gospel responsibility supersedes all of those things. The gospel also saves people from all nations. If you look at the text, once again, it says that to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, this term Greek at this particular, in this particular context is not just speaking of ethnic Greeks. This is saying that anybody who's, not a, who's a non-Jew, so that means that you are included in that statement that the gospel is for the salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You're included in that statement. So the point here is that I don't care what ethnic group you're a part of, I don't care what nation you come from, the gospel is for you. And this is something that we as witnesses of the gospel must keep in mind because we read in Revelation chapter five, that he had redeemed the people from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. And they're all worshiping at the throne of the Most High. So this should shape our perspective on how we treat people who are different from us. This shapes our interactions with the so-called other. This shapes our interaction with people who may dislike us, or who has hostility toward us. And so we understand through this this glorious message of the gospel that God is reconciling the whole world to himself. And God is saying that he is working in such a way that he's moving amongst people through you and me. And so my question to you this morning is, have you been redeemed by this gospel? Have you accepted the terms of God's salvation? Has God been working in your life? Have He justified you? Have you come to a realization that you don't have anything to bring to the King? That you need His righteousness? If so, God is calling you to be a witness. God is calling you to be about his business, to be a faithful proclaimer of his gospel. And God is calling you. Will you be faithful? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, We love you. We're amazed as we look into your word to see your perfect plan in action. How you saw us helpless and in need of your saving grace. You did not leave us to ourselves. but you came through a woman under the law to redeem us from the curse of the law. We thank you for that, Father. And we pray that we will be so enamored by that great truth that we cannot hold it in. That we will be faithful witnesses. That we will go about the great commission. And tell people what must they do to be saved. Help us, O Lord, to be even the more faithful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.